Well, good morning. Excited about Christmas? Yeah, unbelievable. It's two weeks away. I can't believe it. I am done shopping for Becky. I've got all of her gifts. They're all wrapped except for one. It's still on the way. But I've never been at this place. Usually I'm scrambling, you know, for ideas. And you know, it's just like, oh, man, I feel the pressure usually about right now. All the pressure's gone. Just going to be able to enjoy the next couple of weeks and look forward to some time with family and all that goes on. The food, we got one of those Virginia honey baked spiral sliced. I love those. I'm just looking forward to it. It's going to be a good day. And I'm glad you're here. You know, as we talk about Christmas, we talk about the way the world views Christmas and all that they do and all that they're into. And it's all the, it's the gifts and the glitz and all that. And contrasting that with what the Bible teaches, you know, I think it's more of a, um, a difference in perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if you, it, it reminds me sort of of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, where Solomon is writing and he talks about this stuff that if you read it on one level, it seems really sort of depressing, you know, or he's like, everything's meaningless. You know, my work's meaningless. Uh, having fun's meaningless, getting money's meaningless, it's all, everything's meaningless. But if you, if you look at the broad context of the book, he's writing and saying, life under the sun, life under the sun, and everything I put in that perspective, life under the sun, it's just everything without a view of God. It's what I can live in for life, just for what I can see. And, and so if I'm working and my work is just for what I can see, that's meaningless. If I'm trying to have a good time and celebrating and it's just for what I can see, that's meaningless. It's all meaningless unless I have a God perspective. I can see beyond that. And so for us as Christians, when it comes to Christmas, we get to celebrate, should be able to celebrate more than this world does, but we do it with a different perspective. We can do the same things. We can have all the gifts and all that and celebrate it, but we do it with a God perspective. It's not life under the sun for us. There's something bigger, something better. And so, yeah, we get to celebrate and we get to do all that stuff, but we're doing it with a different viewpoint in mind. And so we get to, you know, God's into celebrating and he put a number of celebrations for the, for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. There's all kinds of parties that were going on. And so we got to know this is good for us. It's just a, a difference in perspective. And today, as we continue in this series, as we rethink Christmas, we're looking at John 1. There's a ton of stuff in this chapter, unbelievably good stuff. And uh, if we looked at it all, we'd all sort of be on overload. So we're just going to skip through here and pick out some things. While I was looking through this passage this week, it hit me. There's a bunch of stuff here that sort of, sort of reminds me of a, of a mic drop, you know, sort of the Trinity thing. Everybody's wanting to do a mic drop, you know. And when they do one of those, what they're saying is, what I just said is so good, it's so definitive that there's nothing more that can be said. Boom. That's it. And I think what John, if he was writing today, It'd be, here's a bunch of mic drops. That, that mic was no good, by the way, already, so <laughs> didn't drop a good one. Bunch of mic drops, they start right in the verse one, where he says, in the beginning was the word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. Boom. The word was God. That's a powerful statement. And here's why it's so powerful. He's talking about the word, right? And we know from if you, if you went on through John 1 that the word's referring to Jesus. So the word Jesus, in the Greek, that word word is actually the word logos. And that was a significant word at that time. It was something that everybody was talking about. They've been talking about it for a long time. It was used in philosophy, and they were into talking about philosophy. Philosophy, and so it started out referring to to things that were had to do with reasoning, the logical arguments that made some point. And that was the logos, and then it, 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 it as through time it, it sort of evolved. At one point, it was talking about the thing what held the world together, what what held everything together was the logos. And then by the time we get to the New Testament, the philosopher Philo, he was teaching about these intermediary beings that he thought were necessary to bridge the gap between God and the material world. And the highest one of these intermediary beings he called the Lagos. So people are talking about it, and John comes along and says, no, it's, if you want to talk Lagos, the real Lagos, the one who is reason, the one who holds all things together, it's Jesus and yes, he does mediate between God and man, but he wasn't just an intermediary being or even the top of many intermediary beings. He's God himself. He was with God and he was God. And it's even more powerful when you recognize that what he's talking about here is how the word was God in the big sense. His point is everything that God the Father was Jesus was he's God big picture and he, and he still is he's he's not partially God he's not some inferior God no he's equal with the father so everything in the father's nature things like his holiness absolute holiness things like his power unlimited power his justice, which is always right, always perfect. His love, infinite love for us. I mean, you name the attribute, whatever the Father was, Jesus was, perfectly, absolutely. There's not one thing about Jesus that is any, in any way inferior to the Father. So he's certainly not just some elevated intermediary. He's God himself, high and holy, worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy for us to follow, worthy of our lives. The word was God. And that's why the Bible tells us that someday, according to Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow. Yours, mine, every knee will bow because the word was God. That's a powerful statement. It's just, just the first of a bunch of these mic drop moments in this chapter. There's another one down in verse 14. And the word became flesh. Boom. The word became flesh. It, Notice it doesn't say he became a man. 
Now, he, he could have said that. That's certainly, you know, part of what he's talking about here. But he's trying, I think, to stress a, 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 a certain aspect of that. It says he became flesh. Why flesh? Why didn't John just say he became a man? Instead, he purposefully uses the word flesh. He's making the point that the word became everything in man that is distinct from God. And, and, the, and all the while we know he remained being God, right? It's crazy, right? It's, you're saying, what are you ta- how is that possible? Explain that. Well, I can't. <laughs> you know, we, we believe that what the Bible teaches, that Jesus was 100% God and simultaneously 100% man. Fully God, fully man. Can't fully explain that. But we ha- believe it completely. Theologians have talked about it for years. In fact, they, they, they put a specific name on it. They call it the hypostatic union. This union, Jesus being simultaneously God and man. We can't fully explain it, but we're good with that because we serve a God who's bigger than us, who's not limited to our minds. What John, I think, is pointing out by using this word flesh is he's really stressing the frailty of man. So he paints this huge contrast. He's already talked about how here's the one who's equal with the Father, all-powerful, sovereignly ruling all of creation. That's the word. That's who we're talking about. And now he becomes that one, that one becomes mere man, becomes flesh. The powerful word of God is born into frail humanity. He physically became one of us. And that's huge. This high, holy one, who is everything the Father is, willingly became one of us. He lived among us. He dwelt among us. See, his coming was was very personal. It was intimate. It's not like he he came and somehow he's distanced from us. The point is he came to be among us. It's it's not like someone, say some celebrity today, someone who's famous, some, you know, that you may know of, but you'll never know them because you never meet them. You know, they're not in your neighborhood. He came to be in our neighborhood, to live among us. That's what's so amazing. This high holy God came to live among us. We talk about God wanting a relationship with us. You know, sometimes I wish, man, I wish there was a, another word we could come up with besides relationship. You know, because we use that word pretty lightly sometimes. No, it's used an awful lot. So many relationships, you know, they come and go. So many relationships are built on wrong motives. So many relationships aren't even considered healthy. But this is so much more than those. I mean, look at what he did to show how much he wanted us. The God of heaven, sovereign and holy, became a man with all the weaknesses that goes with that. And he chose to live among us to talk and walk and work and rest and eat and sleep and hurt just like us. Why would he do that? 
Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he had to be made like us in every way to make propitiation. That word is just talking about satisfying the wrath of God that was on us before we came to Christ. The wrath of God. We may not even realize that, but the wrath of God, the Bible pictures that wrath of God. In fact, in Romans 2, it says that it's, it's being stored up against us. Before we come to Christ, the wrath of God, his, the fact that he is kind to us and yet we haven't responded to him, that wrath of God is being stored up against us. It's like it's like being under a canopy when it's raining. You ever done that when the canopy isn't draining like it's supposed to and, it's, and, it's, and the water starts pooling and and you're just sit, sitting under there waiting, you know, maybe you're out camping, something, you don't have any choice, you're there, and you're just waiting because you know that water is going to come off of there at some point. It's storing up. The wrath of God is storing, it's like it's, we're under this umbrella of the wrath of God before we come to Christ. Yikes. And it, it's storing up wrath. All the kindness that God has done for us is being stored up wrath against us. And so, we're just waiting because someday that wrath is going to be poured out. But when we come to Christ, what happened was the wrath of God, it got poured out on him. He took all that for us. The word became flesh. This great, awesome God becoming like us so that God would be satisfied. And we never have to face his wrath ever because he took it for us. It's huge. It's huge. It's another mic drop moment. There's another one down in verse 16. It says there, for of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. For of his fullness, his fullness, think about that. Think how big that is. Here's this great God who became like us, who's all about extending grace to us. He didn't come to punish us. He didn't come to judge us. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. See, he, came, he didn't come to judge us. He came to rescue us because we all needed to be rescued. Now, we, we know that one day he will act as judge. Later on, John, John 5, 22, it says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So that time's going to happen. That's going to, he's going to be the judge. But that wasn't his purpose in coming that first time. His purpose was to save us, to rescue us. And in fact, he not only offered his grace to us, he actually gives us, as this verse tells us, grace upon grace. What a great truth, man. Grace upon grace. We're, we're talking about how God has blessed us with a perpetual succession of grace. One right on top of the other. Moment by moment poured out on us is this perpetual succession of grace. 
Every day, that's what we experience as Christians. Grace, every moment, grace, so good. God's grace, now instead of his wrath being poured out on us, his grace is poured out on us. That's good news, right? I mean, well, how did David put it in the 23rd Psalm? He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. The overflow, that's what every believer experiences every single day. The overflow of God's grace. Unending succession. Undeserved. That's why it's grace. That's exactly how it is. And as John points out here, Moses brought the law, which the law was a blessing. It was a blessing because it pointed out our sin, but it also established God's commitment to his people, his, his covenant love and his faithfulness. But if you want to see that covenant love and that faithfulness come to life, you got to look to Jesus, right? He's the greatest blessing of all. And then we're told, get this, for of his fullness, of his fullness, we have all received. Of his fullness, the one who's God. And everything that God the Father is, of his fullness, we all receive it. That's pretty good. Of the fullness of God, we receive it. It reminds me of Colossians 2, 9. It says, for in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Talk about a mind-blowing thought. I'll just, if you just want to spend the rest of your day sitting back thinking about something, think about that. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. How is that possible? But in him, we're told, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So the one who's the head over all rule and authority, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, you have been made complete. Actually, that word complete is the same word used for fullness in the verse before. It's the same word. So it's, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you've been made full. It's a pretty cool thought. Actually, it was a thought that, that really applied to their lives back then because it was a, the Greek word, the word pleroma. They talked about pleroma a lot because it, it, this idea of being full was something that everybody was looking for. They wanted to be full. They wanted a life that was full. They wanted a life that was pleroma. And so they talked about it. They wanted a life that mattered. They wanted a life that made a difference. They wanted a life that bring, brought real meaning and purpose. That's just like people today, Right? And specifically, this is talking about being full spiritually. We've got everything of his fullness spiritually, everything that we need as believers. We've got it. It's poured out on us. We are full. It's an amazing thought because of his grace that's placed on us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Moment by moment, he pours out his grace on us. That brings us to the next mic drop. We're going to look at it. It's back in verse 12. Where it says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. 
as many as received him. It's just, receiving is the same thing as believing. Receiving him means we're going to acknowledge his claims. We're going to acknowledge his claim to be who he is. We're going to acknowledge his claim about who we are. We're going to acknowledge his claim about what needs to be done in order for us to know him. We're going to, we're going to recognize all that. And as a result of all that, we're going to give ourselves to him. That's when we receive it. And when we do that, we become children of God. Big deal right there, right? Becoming children of God. See, contrary to what a lot of people think, we're not all God's children. Not everybody in the world is God's children. It never says that in Scripture. We can become children of God. Everyone can become a child of God. But it's not automatic. Not everybody's this child. And it's not something that happens to us almost unconsciously. I, I, I get really concerned when I hear people say, and I hear it a lot, well, you, know, you talk to them, they go, I've just always believed. You got to know if that's, if, if your answer is, I have just always believed, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what John was talking about here. We're born separated from God. We aren't his children. In fact, what the Bible presents us as, as enemies of God. Enemies of God who need to come to be reconciled to him, to be made right with him. It's, it's not, I've just always believed. I have to come to a point. It can't be, it has to be a conscious decision to receive him. If we haven't taken that step, the bad news here is we're not his children, but the good news is we can all become his children because of his grace. We all have the opportunity to come into his family by believing in his name. For those of us who are believers, that's so good. We know we've already taken that step, and we know that all this that we're talking about is already ours, right? The one who is the word who equal with the Father, took on flesh, became flesh, poured out his grace on us moment by moment. And when we received him, we got, the, like we were talking about a few weeks ago, the, the, the whole pie, we get the whole pie. And we became his children. All great news. And what we want more than anything now in this world is to have impact on other people's lives so that they can come to that point. That's why we're here as a church, right? To draw, be used by God to draw other people to him. That's why Kevin's pushing the, you, you, you've been gifted cards this morning. I wanna encourage you to grab some of those, take them, have an impact on people. It's not so that they, they walk around and go, oh, well, aren't the people at Grace Community Church nice? Hopefully they'll see that and think, yeah, they're nice. But it's like John tells us that they would see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who's in heaven, that they'd come to know him.
what we have is so good. It's a bunch of mic drop moments. We want other people to experience that. It would be very unloving of us not to want people to experience that, right? It'd be unkind. It'd be hateful for us not to want people to experience that. We love them. We want them to know Christ. And so we want to share him with them. So pass out. Do some, do some stuff to impact people this Christmas, these next couple of weeks. Gift someone in our community. And invite them to church. Invite them next Sunday. Invite them Christmas Eve. Get them here so they'll have the chance to hear the gospel. So they can become children of God. And I, and I realize there's probably some people sitting here right now today who haven't taken that step yet. And you're sitting back listening to this and you're thinking, all that sounds really good. I'm just not sure how to do it. I'm not sure how to take that step. It's really just expressing those things to God, telling him, okay, God, I get it. You're good. You're perfect. You're holy. I'm not. And I can't bridge that gap by anything I can possibly do. So I'm asking you to help me. What I'm relying on is your son's death on the cross. That wrath that we talked about, God, I don't want that on me. I need your grace. So come into my life. Forgive me my sin. You just tell God that in your own words. If you want to talk to a pastor about that in a couple minutes, we can close the service and go right back here to room one. And we'll be glad to answer any questions you have. Take that step today. It's the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Because the word was God and the word became flesh and he lived among us and he pours out his grace on us if we will simply receive him. Believer today, make it your goal to share him with people somehow, some way this Christmas season and then celebrate him because we can. Celebrate Christmas with a God perspective this year. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, providing your grace uh, to us. Thank you for reaching in so many of us. You've reached into our lives. You've changed us. You've made us do. You gave our lives meaning and purpose. You made us full. God, we want to honor you and we want to serve you. Help us to do that effectively. Help us be faithful in it. Thank you for your willingness to bridge the gap that we couldn't bridge ourselves. And Father, I do pray for anyone here who hasn't taken that step. God, I pray that today they take that step. God, they come to a point of faith. They trust you. And help us, Father, to be effective as a church in the next couple of weeks to reach our community for you. And then, God, Christmas Day, I pray we celebrate with an eternal perspective your goodness and your greatness.
Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Bless our day now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey,